Hey, welcome to New River Church's podcast. We're really glad you decided to join us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and lifts you up. If you're looking for some more information about New River Church, just check us out at newriverchurch.org. And when you start to give your life away, wow, Jesus said that's when you start to get it. It's amazing. And um, I was thinking, you know, every Sunday I stand here and talk, and some Sundays, most Sundays, feels like nothing happens. And other times, it's like the presence of God moves, and lives get changed. And I think about that sometimes. What's the difference between those two? Same, same preacher, you know, I take the same approach every week. I, it's not like I, if you prayed five minutes less, it's less powerful that week. Never, I don't see that. It's not like I had my devotions more or less, you know, so therefore it's, so same preacher, same setup, virtually the same everything, and yet some weeks God moves in power, other weeks God doesn't seem to move as powerfully. Not that he didn't, but it just doesn't seem like it. You know what, I, you know how I'm, you know what I'm saying. What's the difference? I don't know. What's our job? I think our job is to show up. You know, we, we show up, we give God something to work with, and whether or not something awesome happens, that's up to him. But it's up to you and me to show up. Does that make sense? And it's just kind of cool how that works. I, don't, I, I wish I could put it into a formula. We can't. And maybe that's on purpose. Because God just wants us to keep our eyes on him and just give ourselves unreservedly to him and trust him with the outcome. And that's it. And so these last couple of weeks, we've been talking about serving in our rooted groups, and I love the title that they gave to this because they call it How to Make the Most of Your Life, Part 1 and 2. I guess they got really creative with Part 2. Seems like they ran out of a title. So How Can I Make the Most of My Life, Part 1 and 2. There's a lot of truth in that statement because the way to make the most of my life is to give it away. That's just how God designed it. Um, truly, the biggest people in the world are those who have given the most of their lives away to others. If you look, look across your own life and your own experience, you could testify to the same thing. The people that have had the greatest impact, the biggest people are those who have given the most of themselves away in service to other people. God's designed life to work that way. And so it's pretty cool that we get to talk about this. I think it's no coincidence that two of the ten weeks in our Rooted study are focused on this because it's a pretty big deal. And, um, but, some of the, but the problem that we run into is this. Before I became a Christian, I was a pretty good person. I did good things. I served other people. I helped other people. And now that I'm following Jesus, I serve other people, I help other people, I do good things. So what's the difference? It's pretty difficult sometimes to see the difference. Like, the only difference really is, well, I guess now I'm a Christian and I do it in the name of Jesus, but it's the same behaviors. So 
what does this mean for you and me? And then I read the Bible, and it seems like these people had like this other level of power in their life. And I'm thinking, well, I don't know. How does this work? You don't think? I'm getting there, Maria. I'm setting this up, girl. You ready? So how does this work? <laughs> You're right, it isn't the same. However, a lot of times it feels the same because it's just the only difference it feels like is that I've just simply done it in the name of Jesus. Like before I was a Christian, I had this ability to teach, and so I taught people, but now I follow Jesus, so I teach in Jesus' name, so that must be a spiritual gift. Before I was a Christian, I was a pretty generous person, and now that I'm a Christian, I follow Jesus, and so I'm generous still in the name of Jesus, so I must have the spiritual gift of generosity. Before I was a Christian, I was a leader, natural-born leader, influenced other people, and now that I'm a Christian, I still lead in Jesus' name, so I must have the spiritual gift of leadership. And that's typically how we do this. But can I tell you that there's more? That spiritual gifts that we're talking about this week and rooted, that your spiritual gifts are not just you taking your natural talent and doing it in the name of Jesus. Your natural talent is great, so keep serving Jesus absolutely 100%. Give your natural talents to God and let him use them. Perfect. But a spiritual gift is different in the sense that a spiritual gift is something that God wants to give through you. It's something that God wants to do through you. It's, it's how God chooses to use you. And we use this terminology that kind of confuses the issue because we say things like, I have the spiritual gift of such and such. I say that I have the spiritual gift of pastoring. But that's really a wrong statement because a spiritual gift is not something that you possess. It's not like I have a Bible, I have a car, I have a whatever. It's not the same. So to say I have the spiritual gift, is, it, it's misleading. Really, it's more like this is how God chooses to use me. This is how I've seen God at work through me. And sometimes it's connected to my natural talent. Other times... It's completely outside my box how God uses me. Are you beginning to see, can you look in your life as a follower of Jesus Christ and see moments when God used you, moments when you were like, wow, that was so cool. I can't believe that, that that happened. I had the privilege. You get this feeling like you're a, you got a front row seat into something that God's doing. You, you've been there? As your pastor, that's something that I desire for every one of us to have. Every one of us. I want all of us to experience that experience because it's so cool when you know that you're right where God wanted you to be in that moment and you know that it wasn't you. You know that God was just doing something and you just had the privilege to be in the, just be in the front row seat. Like that is cool. That, I think, is more in line with what a spiritual gift is is. It's, it's how God chooses to use you, and he uses each one of us differently, and I think about it like a toolbox, like the Holy Spirit has a toolbox. You're in it. I'm in it. If you know Jesus, you're in it. 
And the Holy Spirit goes, you know, for this job I need, for this job I, I, I need a Glenn. And he puts him there. But for this job I need a Maria. And he puts her there. And see, he, he's doing something. He's working. And he takes the tools in and out of his box. And he uses them as he sees fit. And they're incredibly powerful. I hope that word picture helps to make sense a little bit. This morning, now this week, I'm hoping in your groups, I mean, spiritual gifts is a part of the topic, and I hope that in your groups you get to talk a little bit more deeply about them. Um, but this morning, I want to do, I want to take it, I don't want to talk specifically about spiritual gifts per se, but rather kind of want to talk about the, something that's more foundational and more, um, I guess, more foundational. I'm lacking my, I'm tired, lacking my words this morning. More foundational to spiritual gifts. And, and it's kind of, it's, it's this, I'll frame it with this question. Um, how can I see the power of God at work through my life? I'm guessing we all want to see the power of God at work through our lives. How can I see that? What do I need to do? Is there anything I need to do to, set, to be set up for that to happen in my life? And I would say there's two things that are needed foundationally to set you and me up to be able to see the power of God at work through your life. The first one is awareness. The second one is willingness. Awareness and willingness. Let's just talk about them this morning. The first one is awareness. You need to know this truth. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit himself, has made you his dwelling place. You are his home. God lives in you. And everywhere you go, work, school, home, grocery store, wherever you are, the Spirit of God goes with you. You carry him. Last Sunday, remember Pastor Paul and I got to teach on Ephesians chapter 2. Love that chapter. What a fun chapter. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22, it ends with this scripture. It says, in him, you too are being built to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Where does God live? Here, I mean, you, you, sometimes it's important for us to stop and just think through this. That's mind-blowing. The God of the universe lives here. And last Sunday, Paul and I got to talk about how God uses differences, our differences, and they display him, don't they? And, and it's, that's why it's beautiful when different people come together in the name of Jesus, because it's a greater picture of who God is. God's multidimensional. He's infinite. God's multicolored, multi, you know, he's, he's huge. And you have a piece, and you have a piece, and I have a piece, and you have a piece. And it's only when we're together, even with our differences, that you start to see this great, big, beautiful God. That was last Sunday. But let's make this more personal. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. The Apostle Paul is writing this to them, and he asks this question. He says, don't you know? Don't you know? Oh, boy, I'm going to need the Bible verse. There we are. Do you not know 
that your body are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Paul's almost incredulous as he writes this. Do you see this? You don't know this? Paul said, you, you don't see this? Don't you know? Don't you know that the Spirit of God lives in your body? Paul, you see that? So he goes wherever you go. God goes where you go. Do you see this? Think, let me just illustrate this quickly this way. If I were to give you a dime, and I said, hey, could you please take this dime to a friend of mine who lives on the other side of town? You'd probably do it because you're that kind of person. But the truth is, you're not going to take it very seriously because it's just a dime. Chances are good you might even forget. And a few weeks later, you're like, oh, the dime. And you'll go looking for it and you'll, you know, you'll deliver it. But if I were to give you a briefcase with a million dollars cash in it, and I asked you to deliver it across town to my friend, now it's a lot more serious. You would be very aware of what you have in that briefcase, very conscious at all times where that briefcase is. You would not let it out of your sight. You might even do one of the one of the 007 things and take handcuffs and handcuff your wrist to the briefcase and you're going to make sure that you don't lose that briefcase between here and there. Do you see what God has done? He's given you the equivalent of the briefcase. This is why it's important that we are aware of what it is that we carry. You're not care God didn't hand you a dime. He handed you the briefcase. And he says, you're going to carry this now. Oh, now I have something that is serious. I actually carry the very presence of God everywhere I go. Awareness. And this is what it means. The Bible talks about not grieving the spirit. I don't want to grieve the spirit. Why? Because I carry him everywhere I go. And that means that when my mouth goes crazy, when my attitudes go nuts or whatever, what am I doing? I'm grieving the very one that God has given me. I'm, I'm grieving the heart of God. Let's look at some more scripture verses that just back this up. We go on to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called you by his own glory and goodness. His power has given you how much? Everything you need. Do you see the briefcase in that verse? He gave you the briefcase. How about this next scripture? If, um, Acts chapter 3, verse 6. The apostle Peter walks down a street and there's a a lame, a crippled guy who calls out for money. He's begging for money. And Peter says to him, he says, hey, silver and gold I don't have. But what I do have, I'll give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Isn't that something? Peter knew what he had, didn't he? He knew what he had. He knew what he didn't have. I don't have money. But today's your lucky day, my friend, because I do carry 
Jesus. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Do you see the briefcase? Peter knew he had it. How about this next scripture? Jesus, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 8, he's speaking to his disciples, and he's sending them out on their first missionary trip, and he tells them, hey, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you have received, freely give. Do you see the briefcase? Jesus gave it to them. Here's another scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Again, do you see the briefcase? See, God hasn't cheated you at all. You have everything that you need. You carry the Holy Spirit of God. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're filled with his Holy Spirit, you have him. You have everything that you need. Now, don't confuse that with material things. This is where we often get into trouble, don't we? We think, oh, yeah, well, why don't I have a million dollars so I can pay that bill? You have, friends, you might not have a million dollars, but you have the one who owns more than that, and he has the ability to give you wisdom to actually figure out how to pay that whatever it is. Do you see this? I mean, I'd ra- we need to learn to depend upon the one <laughs> who is trustworthy. It's, so God might not meet it in the way that you expect him to do it, but I can guarantee you he's always setting you up for a miracle. Always. Because that's just the nature of who he is. And so I live with awareness, like, okay, I... God walks with me. The Holy Spirit lives in me. You know, um, poverty is a mindset. It's too bad that we link it to finances. We say if somebody doesn't have much money, they must be in poverty. But poverty is not about the amount of money that you have. Poverty is about the way that you think. I can live like I have nothing when really I have everything. The, the, the chances are that some of you even drove to church this morning here in a nice car, but you still think you're poor. And some of us might have eaten all of our meals this week, and you still don't feel like you have enough. Yet you're not hungry. Sitting in a warm room, comfortable chair, surrounded by people that love us, people that we love, we still feel gypped. See, poverty is a mindset. It's not about how much I have. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, there's nothing poor about you. You carry the very presence of God everywhere you go. It's awareness. Part of how, part of being used, part of seeing God at work powerfully through my life is to be aware of the fact that God actually does want to work powerfully through my life. I carry him. Love that. But the second part of this is willingness. There's awareness and there's willingness. And for this, we need to turn to Genesis chapter 12. I wanted to use 
a story out of the life of Abram to just illustrate this for us. And we're going to fly through two chapters of the Bible, so we've got to buzz through it quick. It's great if you have your Bible open to Genesis 12 so that you can follow along. But Abram, Abram, this is Abram before his name was changed to Abraham. So it's the same guy just before he got a name change. Now, Abram, you need to think of Abram not as a 20th century American guy. You need to think of Abram as, I mean, he's barely above a knuckle dragger. The guy lives in the Bronze Age, intense, okay? He's rough around the edges. He's, he is not a civilized guy like you might picture. So, so we've got to set that aside. Abraham is rough, and God is beginning to move. This is the, he's the first guy that God is really beginning to have a relationship with. And so his whole interaction with God is completely different than the way you and I would interact with God. Because Abraham, is, he's at the beginning. He's the father, if you will. He is. We call him the father of our faith. So he is, you know, he's, he's not working with the same materials you and I are working with. Do you see this? So here's Abraham. He's just this pagan dude out of Ur, this ancient city called Ur. And, and he's, uh, he's just your average, you know, pagan guy. God begins to move in his life. God begins to talk to him. Abram begins to respond to the God of the universe. So now Abram is beginning a relationship with God. And I love the story of Abraham because it really is a picture of your life and mine and our relationship with Jesus. We all start off the same kind of rough way. We, we come to Jesus, don't we, with baggage and stuff and we start off rough. And this is Abram. He starts off rough. And we're seeing him in Genesis 12 at the very beginning. He starts off really rough. So Genesis chapter 12, it opens up with verse 1. Now we're talking about willingness. Here we're looking at willingness. Keep that word in your mind. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. It says, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I'm going to curse. And all peoples of earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. That's his nephew. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife, Sarai, his nephew, Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Now, stop right there for a second. Verse 1, God speaks to Abram, and he says, hey, I want you to go, and I want you to leave. You've got to leave the people, and you've got to leave your father's household. You've got to go to this new land I'm going to show you, Abram. Now, Abram, God was not asking Abram to dishonor his father. Quite the opposite. In fact, God was asking Abram to pick up where his father left off. If you go to the end of chapter 11, you discover that Abram's father, Terah, 
had actually started off for the land of Canaan and didn't make it. It says in chapter 11, verse 31, Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. So Abram's father, Terah, got the first call to leave Ur and go to Canaan. But for whatever reason, he only made it as far as this place called Haran, and he settled there. And he died there. And it was after his father's passing that God comes to Abram. Abram, I want you to go. In essence, he's saying, Abram, finish what your father started. There's a generational mindset in the Bible. And we, and we need to start picking that up as well. There's a generational mindset here. you got to see the blessing that your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren have because of your relationship with Jesus. You are setting them up, friends. And it doesn't matter where you came from. You might have come from a bad family before. Give your heart to Jesus Set your family on track with Jesus and begin to watch the generations that come after you absolutely transformed. The, the sins of the fathers, the Bible says, go to the third and fourth generation. But the blessing of the Lord goes to a thousand generations. So the blessing far outweighs the sin. And so, my friend, you have a unique opportunity right now to break that generational chain in your family's life. It doesn't matter how bad that was, how much addiction, how much heartache, how much brokenness was in the past. Friends, in Christ, there's a whole new future. And here's Abram. He's, God, God comes to Abram. Abram, your father, he stopped there. Now, Abram, finish the job. And so Abram does, and God, God says, leave it all. And it's interesting, because Abram doesn't really leave it all, does he? He's like, he packs up all his possessions, he's got the U-Haul, he rents the bus, like all of his friends, his family, his nephew Lot, they're all moving to Canaan. He's just getting started. You got to think, you got to have a lot of grace for Abram, he's just getting started. So he obeys God, sort of, takes off for Canaan. And God makes this incredible promise to Abram. He says, Abram, I'm going to bless you, but... I'm going to make you a blessing. I'm going to bless the whole world through you. And friends, this is how God designed it. He makes you, he blesses you to make you a blessing. But in our flesh and in our sin, in our carnal thinking, we tend to think that God blesses me to bless me. But that's not why God blesses you. God blesses you to make you a blessing. Always. And you discover, in fact, as we're about to see in Abram's life, that when you take that seriously and you bless with the blessing that you've been given, that God actually gives you more. It's how he, it's how he sets it up. There's this constant flow through your life to the world around you. And so here's Abram. He, he sets off for Canaan. And it says, uh, verse 6, he, he arrives there. Verse 5, he arrives there. Amon traveled through the land. 
As far as the site of the great tree of Moreh, Shechem, at that time the Canaanites were in the land. Verse 7, the Lord appeared to Abram and he said, to your offspring, I will give you this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Whoa. So Abram takes this step of faith and he obeys God. And what happens? God shows up and God makes him a promise. Abram, I'm going to give this whole place to you. What does Abram do? Verse 8, he keeps on going. Just keeps on going. And he goes for more. From there, he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent. With Bethel on the west, Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. That's a desert. Okay, here's what's happening. Abram makes it. God makes this astounding promise, shows up in his life. Abram doesn't seem to be too content with that, continues to try to get more, builds another altar. God doesn't show up the second time. See that in verse 8? And so then Abram says, well, I'm just going to keep on moving. So verse 9, Abram goes on down to the Negev. That's a desert. Not a great spot. So he goes from this incredible encounter with God. I'm taking a step of faith. I'm letting it all go to seek the Lord. God shows up. God makes this promise. Not content. Abram keeps on going on his own. Finds himself in a desert. Next scenario, finds himself in a famine. And he decides, let's go to Egypt. That's the end of chapter 12 there. Let's go to Egypt. Let's, you know, so now I'm supposed to be in Canaan, but where's he going? Egypt. So he's completely off track. Goes to Egypt to try to find safety, try to find food. What happens? Fear takes over. This always happens when I'm walking out of the will of God. Fear takes over. And he says, comes up with this cockamamie idea. Hey, Sarai, why don't you, you know, you're a beautiful woman. Why don't you tell the Egyptians that you're my sister, not my wife? That way they don't kill me so they can marry you. I understand that problem because I married a beautiful woman. I, I get Abram's difficulty. If you're watching this, honey. All right, okay. So, see? I know. I walk around the house singing that old Dr. Hook song. Remember Dr. Hook? When you're in love with a beautiful woman. You know that song? Yeah. Anyway, now my wife is thoroughly embarrassed. So, Abram, he's got this beautiful wife, and, and he's falls into fear, lies about her. You're my sister, not my wife. Pharaoh finds out about it. Pharaoh kicks him out of Egypt, rightfully so. Pharaoh could have killed him. He didn't. And so you come to the end of chapter 12. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. So Abram's still carting around the world with all of his stuff, Chapter 13 opens up. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had. Notice the way that gets repeated. It's an emphasis. Whenever you see things repeated in the Bible, it's always important. Take notice of it. So here's Abram, everything he had, again. So here he is. You can just picture him with his big U-Haul, just driving around the countryside with all of his stuff trying to find a happy place. And Lot went with him. 
Abram had become very wealthy. Oh, he's got a big U-Haul, really big truck in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev, he went from place to place till he came to Bethel. That's where he was before and where he had first built an altar. And look at verse, um, chapter 13, verse 4. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. But God doesn't show up again. Still no sign of God. And then Lot, chapter, verse 5. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had a really big truck and lots of stuff. And we begin to see that now this causes a problem between Abram and his nephew. We now both have so much stuff. We're just so fat, so got so much stuff that we're running into each other. And now it's a conflict. Look at verse 7. Quarreling arose between Abram's herders and lots. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we're close relatives. Is, is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Hmm. I would propose to you that this right here is a defining moment in Abram's life. Abram has reached this point where his stuff has become so heavy Everything that he's amassed has become so heavy. It's caused conflict between him and Lot. Remember, God told him at the beginning of the chapter, leave your father's household. Abram took Lot with him anyway. Takes him. A little security blanket. Maybe, I don't know why he took him. Here he is with all of this stuff. Now Lot has all of his stuff. Abram has all of his stuff. And now it's a conflict. Now it's a problem. And Abram says, okay, Lot, I'll tell you what, you take the pick. You take whatever you want. Take the best. If you want, if you want to take the best, take the best, Abram. Take the best, Lot, rather. And that's exactly what Lot does. The next paragraph, Lot looks down. He sees the well-watered grass. He sees all this lush pasture land. And Lot's like, I'll take that. And he bailed out on Abram, and he gave Abram the desert basically, and he took the nice, lush, green pasture land with all of his flocks. So Lot takes off. Now here's where God steps in. Now I, I picture Abram. He's just, he's just lost. Not everything, but I mean, okay, your snot-nosed nephew just took the best, and, and now you're left with not a great thing, per se, and, and here's Abram, and this is a moment where God begins to speak to him again. Verse 14, now the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, look around from where you are to the north, to the south, to the east, and the west. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth. So that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. Notice that beforehand, Abram was walking around the land, but God had not told him to do that. That got him into trouble. Now, Abram's giving it up, and God says, it's all yours. Go walk it. Abram's walking it. I'm giving it to you. 
Verse 18, so Abram went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tents. There he built an altar to the Lord. I want you to see this pattern. There's four altars that Abram built. There were four altars that he built in this text. Only twice did God show up, and the other two times empty-handed. The first time that Abram built an altar was after he obeyed God. And he ventured out. And then God stepped in, appeared to Abram. Abram built an altar to worship the Lord. The next time, Abram is still searching for more. And he builds an altar. No sign of God. It's almost as though the altar you see is Abram's way of asking God to bless what he's doing. Here I am, Lord. I'm taking it all. Bless it. No sign of God. The third altar that Abram builds, same sort of scenario. Egypt, rough times, falls into the Negev. I mean, it's, you know, bad spot. Abram finally gets out of the bad spot, builds another altar. Still no presence of God. And then Abram comes to this conflict between he and his nephew when all of their things and their stuff that they had amassed begins to clash and cause trouble between the two of them, and Abram makes this decisive move. Lot, I'm going to give you the best. I'm going to give you the choice, is what he did. You have the choice, knowing what Lot would take. And Lot did, and then Abram's left with just a fraction of what he had before, and that's when God stepped in, and God appeared, and Abraham built an altar, and he worshiped the Lord. And that's when God makes this astounding promise. Abram, now you're ready. That's all yours. As far as your eye can see. Why is he, what's the difference? Well, Abram's free to give it away. And when he's free to give it away, he's free to get it. It's the only difference that I see in Abram's life. It's it's, it no longer has control over him, but he's actually willing to hand it over. And God says, okay, now it's all yours. Now you're blessed to be a blessing. Willingness. How does this translate in your life and mine when it comes to spiritual gifts, when it comes to serving God? Well, two things. If I want to see the power of God in my life, I want to see the power of God at work through my life, the first thing I need is I need to be aware of the fact that I have the power of God. That's a step of faith that you need to begin to live in every day. I have the power of God. God's spirit lives in me. I'm not lacking anything. Go back to those scripture verses that we started with. Those are all right out of the word of God. They're true. You have the presence, the person of God. He lives with you. So the first piece is awareness. And the second one is willingness. I got to be willing to step into it, to step into whatever the situation is and trust that God has the power to do something. It's that simple. And you know what? Sometimes cool stuff happens. Other times, not so much. It's like how I started Every Sunday, I stand up here and bring a sermon. Sometimes it's really great. Sometimes it falls flat. What's the difference? I don't really know. 
I just know I'm willing. I show up. And God does the rest. And that, my friend, is what you and I are called to do. Be aware of what you carry and be willing to show up and let the Lord handle the outcome. And this is how we serve the Lord. Do you see this? I love it because the pressure is off you and me. God doesn't ask us to do what we can't do. He's just asking you to do what you can do, which is be aware of his presence and show up and let him take care of the rest. Follow? This is also why it's so important for us to be more like Jesus. It's so important for us to grow in our character and to become more and more like Christ because God uses us as is. He uses us as is. We all know examples of people who are greatly flawed whom God uses in powerful ways. Have you ever wondered why? Have you ever, like, why that jerk, God? Why are you doing something, and why? Well, because, <clears throat> friends, flawed, in case you haven't noticed, flawed people are all that God has to work with. He uses you as is. And this is why it's so important for us to pursue Christ-likeness, because the more like Christ I am, the better that ministry becomes. It's like my old friend, uh, some of you know Dave Stoutinger, my old friend years ago, he said this. He said, ministry is like getting a drink out of a garden hose. The water's good, sometimes you taste the hose. And you've all experienced ministry before where it's a little hosier than others. You go, wow, okay, the water was good there, but whoo, a little rough delivery. Exactly. You and I, we work on the delivery, but God, he's bringing the goods. I hope these analogies are making sense. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like more encouragement or information about New River Church, check us out at newriverchurch.org.